You are listening to the Sickles and Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by RCF and Out and Heath. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product to create unique experiences for venues around the globe. RCF's Ara Pro Series Professional Active Studio Monitors are optimized for near-field studio applications, broadcast, and desktop use. Whether you're in a small studio using a mobile system or hotel room desk, you have a powerful system to accurately mix with uncolored audio reproduction. Learn more at rcf-usa.com for the latest news and product information. RCF, the sound behind the experience. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. A math problem. If Bob has 12 pounds of taco meat to serve a crew of 10, which contains two vegetarians and only three dozen corn tortillas and five tomatoes, can I get more bass in my monitor? I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Yes, that's watermelon Kool-Aid, Michael. Don't judge me. I didn't say anything. Is it full strength or watered down? Full strength, dude. I almost go two cups of sugar. I like Is it virgin Kool-Aid? Oh. Yeah, real good stuff. Damn. It's a lot of sugar. That's a lot, hi. man. Hi. Hi, everybody. We're, uh, hi. Oh, he's got <laughs> wine. Uh, I'm Kyle Chernside, and tonight I'm joined with Sam Boone and Michael Lawrence here at the Signal to Noise podcast. Thank you uh, for returning to hear us speak to other people who do the same thing that we do, sort of, in different ways. <laughs> I, lo- I haven't got to do any of the, the, the sponsor commercials for the beginning in a long time. I noticed. We can do, you can do the new ones. Go can for I? it. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you actually, why don't you say thank you to, to Alan Heath and RCF right now, Kyle? Thanks, RCF and Alan and Heath. Thanks a bunch, y'all. <laughs> Done. Okay, I expected a little more, but that's fine. We'll go with that. It's my um, favorite thing in the world when Kyle <laughs> intros, though, which is why I'm always like, Kyle, you want to do it? Like, it's my favorite. Thanks a bunch, y'all. A hey. little bit of housekeeping this week. Yes. Two things. Number one, please come see us March 8th, Nashville Hard Rock Cafe. We're going to be there. We're going to be doing a live taping for our 200th episode. Mike Green is going to be performing. Uh, having on good authority, there's going to be some pretty cool people there. So come out and see us. It's free. You can sign up. There's a link. There's an Eventbrite link in the in the description of this podcast. Number two, come, by the you could come meet oh, our ahead, sponsors God. there, right? Uh, Jeff Holly from yes. Allen and Heath. And, yes, and Tarek's um, going to be Tar- there from RCF. Yep. 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 So come meet our sponsors. Don't even don't even worry about me saying hello to them. Come meet them. <laughs> They're great folks. <laughs> and. Kind of related note, by the time you hear this episode, Signal to Noise will have been downloaded over half a million times. No And that's way. pretty fucking cool. Yeah, man. <laughs> yep. I think that's pretty damn cool. So thank you to everybody for, for tolerating us. I think a lot of it's Chris's mom tuning yeah. in. Uh, well, a lot your of it's mom. My, mom. My, yeah. my mom's tuning in to hear Chris. Um, your mom's going to listen to this. Yeah, see, Alex's mom. Uh, exactly. Sam, who's our guest this week? So this week we are joined by Mr. Alex Ritter. How's it going? Hi. He he, he has a three-page resume, y'all. It's Yo, long. this dude's done everything, and he's <laughs> super cool. Um, 
So, I mean, Alex, you're doing some Broadway stuff right now. We met when I worked for SES, and I honestly think you were probably the first touring systems engineer that I ever got to, like, talk to and ask questions to. And you are just, like, the kindest human being. Because I remember being 18, like, standing behind you. You were, at the time, uh, prepping, I think, the Leonard Skinner tour. And um, I was one of your prep techs in the shop, and you very kindly let me literally stand behind you and just watch you build your network and watch you get everything online. And I probably asked you half a million questions and you very kindly did not tell me to fuck off. Um, I'm surprised you still wanted to do this. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I think it just made it worse if we're being honest. (laughs) Um, But Alex is a very kind, super cool human who, in addition to doing Things like Leonard Skinner and Darius Ruckard and Luke Combs, Nudie and Blowfish, and his three-page long resume that would take us an hour to read. Uh, you guys, read all of it. it. I'm still going to yeah. read some of it. So let's see. Advanced Sound Engineer, Dear Evan Hansen, First National Tour. Uh, Master Sound Engineer at the Guthrie Theater. Freelance System Engineer, and like some Sam mentioned a lot of those names. Lady Annabellum, Leonard Skinner, Darius Ruckard, Joe Bonamassa. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff on there. Madonna. Uh SE, let's see, Luke Combs, Hello Mega Tour, Zach Brown Bands, uh, you know, a production sound engineer for a bunch of musicals. I'm only halfway through the second page, by the way. This is just, it's it's really, uh, I, I think something that really stuck out to me, obviously, Alex, uh, I, I've been most familiar with your work at, as the system engineering side of stuff. That's kind of what I see you do on LinkedIn, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever relevance LinkedIn has these days. But it's very, very rare for someone to have one foot firmly in the touring rock and roll camp and one foot firmly in the musical theater camp. And I know people that kind of dabble in one or the other, but you're kind of you're really invested in both. And how did you end up in that sort of situation? Um, luck. And I met the right <laughs> person at the right time. <laughs> Honestly, uh, half of my career I owe to my wife, to be honest, um, at least my New York career I owe to my wife. Uh, she moved to New York. We met in college um, and she moved to New York and worked at a producing office. Um, and at a birthday party, um, she was talking to Nevin Steinberg's wife and said, hey, my boyfriend does sound. You two should meet. Um, and it turns out the following week I was doing a show at Madison Square Garden and I get a phone call from a New York number. I have no idea who this person is. And I pick up and it's Nevin Steinberg and said, so your girlfriend told me we should meet and apparently you're in town. So let's have coffee. Um, Okay. And he came over. We sat in catering, chatted for about an hour. And that led to my first Broadway out of town tryout as an assistant. I think that was an assistant job with Nevin Steinberg. Um, I, 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 the which th- were you a little starstruck or did you like have context or who Nevin was and just the gravity of his career and what he's done? Yeah. So I, I met him when he was still with Acme sound partners and where I went to school, Acme was like, God, right. I mean, all the shows at the time that were being produced, Acme was the sound designer for. So when I got a call from him, I was like, I, I don't believe that this is Nevin Steinberg, but my <laughs> wife is working on In the Heights, which she's working on. So, like, it, it's plausible. Um, <laughs> but, it, yeah, it totally freaked me out. And I I was definitely shaking quite a bit during our little sit down. He's like, are you nervous at all? I was like, well, I mean, a little bit. I, I know who you are. Uh, I, but he's I, a really nice guy. So He's so nice. I... I... 
have probably told this story at some point in the past, but I was at a tech performance of, I think, the Share Show, and I looked over my shoulder and I said, I think that's Nevin Steinberg back there. And I looked in the in the playbill and it said, I was like, that is Nevin Steinberg. So I, I, went, up, I went up to him and I said, hi, are you Nevin Steinberg? And he was like, I am. And I said, hi, it's really nice to meet you. And then I like ran away. So... <laughs> That was my that was my interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Made the connection. Hilarious. I did. That was it, man. And then he it was like then he then he took my smart class later, and then I was all freaked out by it. So no, he's a very uh very, very cool guy. So that's yeah. really neat. Um th- have you found that bouncing back and forth between the discipline sort of like keeps you mentally engaged or because yes. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, totally. Um I think they both complement each other and I can bring stuff I learned on the rock and roll side to the theater side and stuff I learned on the theater side to the rock and roll side. Um, and it's helped my touring career tremendously to do both um, and opened my eyes to different opportunities and different things that normally, if you just do one thing, I feel like you get so stuck in that one thing and you're always just doing that same thing over and over again. And I don't like that. Um, so I think working for different people and different projects and different things really broadens the spectrum for the things that you can learn. Common theme. Everyone gets kind of antsy in this job. You know, Sam even texted me this week and was like, antsy, anxious, you know, and, and, and switching it up and doing different bits in our profession isn't as hard as it used to be. Um, it's a little easier to network and get those back and forth jobs. I want to say thank you for coming on because now we have completed the full audio staff of Luke Combs. And <laughs> nice. if, you would like, if you would like to talk shit about any of them, let's do it. Uh, no, I, I like him too much. We won't talk about them. I want to work with right. him again. So. They're awesome. I love all those dudes, yeah. man. They are all the most genuine, cool audio humans ever. And they've been on what? Our podcast twice, yeah. Knows, yeah. Zeus yeah. was just yeah. once. They're a right? fantastic bunch of humans. Zeus They're, was they once. They really are great. Yeah, Zeus would have like nine million macros. Like we could spend six hours going through his macros alone. Um, but I do think he has some Facebook comments on those that I was reading the other day. You, you guys hey, are uh, actually uh, getting ready right now. The Luke Combs stuff is starting to ramp up. Yeah. Yeah, they're starting their stadium run March. I think is what they're doing. So, and it looks huge. So, What's going to be different for you on that tour? Nothing. I'm not going. You're not going. <laughs> oh, okay. Nope. <laughs> um, so this Dear Evan Hansen thing goes all the way through July. Um, and although it could technically work with my schedule, um, I want to be home um, and see my wife and kids. So uh, I've heard I that think- before. Amen, brother. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think I get to do anything on this one. And even on the last one, you know, I was just a PA tech, which was awesome. It's nice to not be an SE and just have someone tell you what to do. Kind of nice. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Michael. What's the coolest thing you got within arm's reach? Holy shit, dude. You guys didn't. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> I got wicked. From Star Wars, the original oh, action it's an Ewok. Ewok toy, yeah. yeah, very cool. Original Sam. Ewok. Oh, um, a very interesting Japanese soda I'm drinking. 
Oh, it's a little tiny one. Yeah. It's a marble one, right? Yeah. Rajun or a Rayun or whatever it's called. What yep, it? that one. Ramun? Those, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm those, gonna butcher it. However I say it, I'm just gonna be wrong. Those are just straight sugar flavor. That's why they're clear. Yeah. It just it's just <laughs> sugar and carbonation. They are delicious. There's like four ingredients and three of them are sugar and the other one's carbonated water. Brilliant. But I know exactly what it is. So if I'm gonna drink soda, it's gonna be that. I've got the uh, user manual to the Nikon Forestry Pro 2, which we were just talking about in the Discord, which is um, PRG sends them out in their in their uh, work boxes. And I've been envious of them for quite a long time. So I've been like stalking eBay, waiting for one to come up that was that was significantly discounted. And this week I, I nabbed one for like 310 bucks. So uh, I think I sent mine to your what house. It's, it's uh, well, what it's designed for is like forest rangers to like see how far away trees are and, and it can tell you how tall they are. It solves like a right triangle basically. But what I use it for and what a lot of people use it for in our industry is uh, as a companion to a laser disto measurement. Um, but it's easier to, to use when it's like really bright. And you can't see your laser or something like that or you're outdoors at Stadium. festival stadiums. Yeah, big venues yep. like that. Um, yeah. I will note that it goes further than your most laser distos. It, it's well, yes. which is the sole purpose that a lot of people carry them for. What I like is uh, it's it's just a little bit easier when it's bright, even if it's a venue that's small enough that you could use your laser. It's it, it does better in bright light, and it solves the right triangle for you and shows it on the side of the unit, which is pretty sick. So uh, definitely check check those out. Alex, what's the coolest thing you have in arm's reach? San Francisco shot glass. Nailed it. Oh, nice. cute. You were ready. Yep. It's like a mug style, too. So, yep. Yep. I, uh, I'm that dork that goes to the airport store and buys a shot glass in every city I go to every year. And You're the I guy. Because I'm always yep. like, who the fuck's buying these things? And so it's you. <laughs> this guy. Yep. <laughs> um, and then I put a date on the bottom Aww. so I know when I was there. That's a great idea. I really That's like awesome. that. That is awesome. I back that. That was going to yeah, be my I question: is what, is that a quirky thing that you buy all the time? Obviously. Uh, yep. Uh, do you, magnets do you, for my kids. And do you display them. Do you display them anywhere? Do you have them on the walls or anything yet? Uh, right now, they're just in a pile. Uh, we moved a couple months ago. Sounds like my life. I haven't been able to convince my wife to let me. I'm in my basement right now, and we have a bar down here, and I haven't convinced her yet that I can make this space my space, and she can have the rest of the house. Um, that seems like a good it, deal, though. I think I think you probably have a high likelihood of pulling that one off. Right. What I mean, if you just do it? Like, what if you just pass aggressively? Uh, just. <laughs> I'm clearly not married. Sorry. <laughs> I want to keep this on my finger. Got it. Yeah, that won't work out. I'm yeah. in the basement too, but it's by not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Alex, I, I what's I want to know like one thing that you learned from your theater background that you think the rock and roll world should pay more attention to. And then the other way around also, I see you might want some time to think about that. So that is a probing question, but um, I I'm, I'm in the middle of production right now on um, Kyle Jensen and I are are co-sound designing rent uh, for Hamilton college. And it's a black box production and it's got a very cool set and it's very like modern. um, And so it's cool. But the one thing that strikes me is that, pace of theater tech and it's so so slow so it feels glacially slow compared to putting a rock and roll show up uh and and so um sometimes i think you can get too close to something when you 
when you're that close to it for that long and you're kind of poking it, you know, sometimes it's like, dude, just like commit, man, and move on to the next thing. And so I, I, I think that the, the pace of production is so different that thinking about how, how decisions are made and the communication chain that goes into making these decisions. Um, I think it would do rock and roll people some good to go through the theater version of it. And I, I w- think that a lot of my, my theater friends should come out and like try to advance a rock and roll show and just see how fast that happens. And, yeah. and I think there's some learning there for both, for both parties. Yeah. Well, I think from the rock and roll to theater side, it's how to move a show, you know, mm-hmm. um, in rock and roll, we're so compact. We're so efficient because we have four hours to load a show in and do a show really before sound check. Um, some shows maybe a little longer and, you know, dear Evan Hansen right now, we, we have a total of 22 hours of load in before we do a show. What? Like we, our, our sound guy gets eight hours to tune the PA. Can you imagine getting eight hours to tune a PA? I can imagine the check to get eight hours. I was going to awesome. say, what do I got to do? For that? Um, well, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about because I've had multiple conversations with friends who work, you know, in theater sound and they go, well, I only had eight hours to tune. So like, yeah, I, you know, I know it's, you know, the delays were weird in the back of the balcony, but we just didn't get to it. And it's like, what do you mean you didn't get to it? Like eight hours, <laughs> like I, I yep. have 20 minutes, you know what I mean? So it's, it, and now, okay. Theater has way more speakers. So it's, okay, not, that was a, my it's, next question. it's not a direct analog. Like, but, no. but my point is when you're used to having to move quickly and make decisions very quickly, you develop an efficiency as part of your process. You, it forces you to become efficient. And I yep. think people would make better use of that four or six or eight hours if they, you know what I mean? Kind of had totally. to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the front of house guy, the A1 on Dear Evan Hansen, I'm, I'm trying to help him get a little bit faster at it because he's still struggling. We get to the end of the eight hours and then we get to the cast sound check and we're not really where we need to be. And he's also newer. Um, he's only been with the tour for a couple of months now. Um, but, you know, I, I made a checklist of you know, where do I put my microphone? Why do I put it there? What measurements do I take at that one place to cut down on the amount of measurements he was taking? Because he was taking like over 50 measurements and smart and not really knowing what to do with all of them. Um, so I basically made, okay, well, this is how I would do it. This is my checklist. And I gave it to him and said, you know, this is about, this should take you half the time that it's mm-hmm. taking you now. Um, Cause it's deliberate. Um, That's the D word. Can, yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Um, it's not just haphazardly. I'm going to take the microphone and put it here, you know, um, and take a measurement. Oh, but I need to take a measurement of the side hang as well. Okay, well now I got to move the microphone over here because I'm onto that coverage pattern. So, um, interesting. Just trying just to help them out with that. Just out of curiosity, will you talk us through the system on that? Like, how many? Because right, I've I've spent my whole world in kind of that rock and roll style of working. Yeah. So for theater, right, what's that system look like in terms of just delays, hangs? Yeah, I mean it's basically it actually isn't that much more than a regular rock and roll show on this tour. Uh, we have two towers left and right, um, that have Anna's in them, um, with some D and B V seven P's down at the bottom with a sub on either side. Uh, we've got a center hang of Anna's with some V seven P outfills. Um, and then we carry some front fills and some underbalks. Um, okay. and so it's not that much. Um, but things are broken up just a bit more. So our Anna's 
our tower left and right are separated into different zones, kind of like you would in a ray calc or um, a acoustics where you've got your, you know, your boxes of two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, but it's matrix differently in the DS100. So you've got more band going to the top than you do down at the bottom because of where the orchestra is to try to get a bit more band up top. Um, I think that's one thing that I wish rock and roll did a bit more is matrixing. Um, I find a lot of guys just send a mono send to the front fill. And even if your guitar's at Mach 11, you got a guitar in front fill. Well, what, why? I can't yeah. hear the vocal because the guitar is like so far in my face and screaming at me. And I can't, if I cut out the two to 4k to get rid of the guitar harshness, then I've cut out your vocal clarity as well. So, man, I, I, I've done that on not only theater shows, but when I have rock and roll shows where it's a smaller venue, like under 3000 cap. So stage sound is significant. And I know it's an act that has a lot of stage sound, loud drummer or something. I send a a band group to the DSP and then a vocal group to the DSP instead of sending a mix left. Right. And I, and I do exactly that. I I balance the two in the different parts of the PA and that, it's kind of a game changer. It solves a problem that you didn't realize you had for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really, it's really helpful, but I want to revisit that, that you said the word deliberate. And to me, that's like the, that's like the, the $30,000. That's the golden nugget right there, because how do you move quickly? Even if you have to take a lot of measurements, or you have a lot of speakers, or you have a lot of zones. It's about, I know where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do when I get there, what am I looking for? What am I hoping to learn? What adjustment I'm going to make? Where am I going next? So you eliminate the dead air of, okay, should I go up to the balcony and measure this? And then when you get into a bigger room, I also try to plan my uh, plan my my route. I don't want to walk up to 300 level twice because that takes, that takes you know, it takes Gotta six minutes. Gotta get your steps in, man. Right. So if it takes me six minutes to get up there, I want to do it once, not twice. Um, yeah. And so I start to plan my, my tuning workflow a little bit differently to minimize, you know, it's like the straightest path between two points would be, you know, the, the, the straight line. So that that does come into play. So I think um, we're doing this this cool exercise now for the uh, the Audio Nerd Book Club um, this week. And we, I, I'm teaching a, a series of sessions uh, about my book. And in the first week, I said, here's a venue. Here's a picture of it. Here's the DSP layout. Here's where all the speakers are. Your job is to write a list of the steps you're going to take when you tune this system. Yeah. And and so just to get people thinking about the process, and it's not like make sure it matches my process. That's not the point. It's just about have a game plan before you start and be deliberate about it. And that's, that's the, I always use the D word. And so next week is our last session, and I'm going to show here's my list of order of operations, and here's the measurements I took at each step, and blah, 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 blah. But it's just really trying to exactly what you're talking about, which is to get people planning ahead a little bit rather than just going in there and starting adjusting stuff. And that's when you create the chaos. So I think that's an awesome point. Yeah, and Michael, we talk a lot about like when I kind of made the jump to some bigger venues this year, um, you know, not only getting perspective and going and sitting in that very last row right before, you know, the world blows up while we're still waiting on points in my in my half hour of silence for the day. Um, you know, <laughs> we talk a lot about, you know, let's walk up to that very last row and I'll sit and I'll I'll watch the points go up and I'll I'll look around and I'll think about not only your advice was to think about you know, what it's like to experience the show in that seat, right? Because we always talk about, you know, we are advocating for every single person in the room, for every single experience in the room. 
But then on top of that, um, I will 100% sit there and go, okay, my mics are going here. Like this is, right. I, I make myself talk myself through the tuning every morning. Because otherwise, I, I don't want to have to think about it when I'm doing it. And I'm also doing other things. I'm I'm looking for some arenas have like fucked up ways that you have to get between 100 and 200. And like sometimes they're not all connected. And I'm looking for, you know, I'm trying to find my paths for when I go to walk during the show and it's fucking dark and it's full of people. I'm trying to find where I'm going to come up, where I'm going to go down, how I'm going to be able to get to these areas that you don't want to try to navigate that in the dark during a during a rock concert, you know. Drapes. Yeah, that, drapes. That I saved. I made the mistake once. Did you get stuck in the drapes? No, I had to lower the PA like Uh-oh. eight feet. Oh, you, oh, you mean like obstructions? The, like yeah. obstructions. I mean, yeah. like because you don't because you don't see them unless you're all the way up there. Right. And we we were in some like fifteen thousand, twenty thousand person arenas, but they have all these this truss that goes around and it obstructs the last like eight rows of the three hundred. But it's yeah, straight in front yeah. of the stage where everybody goes to sit to see it. So, like, I definitely, you know, but you don't see it until you walk up there. Right. That's part it's of it. I mean, it's really easy to look on the floor and see those, you know, a lot of, they sometimes they hang up big flags or like big oversized mm-hmm. jerseys or something like that or video screens. Scoreboards. Even. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it'd be a problem from the floor. And then you get up in the seats and you're like, oh, shit, this is actually a big problem. So take that walk around. The other thing that I would tell people is, and this this also probably applies somewhat in a theater environment too, is when I have time to walk and I, it's a limited time, I'm going to prioritize the stuff I can't get to during the show. Once the audience comes in, I can't really go listen to the front fills in a representative position. I'm either on the inside of the barricade or I'm too far back to hear it. So I'm going to go listen to the front fills first and make sure they're doing what I want. And then when the house opens and all those people are up there, I can't really go down there during the show. Um, but I can hear the side hacks and I can hear, you know, the 200s. And I can do all that stuff. So I, I will, given a very limited time that I have to work in, I will prioritize the stuff that it's going to be my last chance to hear it. That's a, that's a little, uh, another little tip for you. But um, so let's go the other way now, Alex. Let's say, what can the rock and roll people learn from theater? I got one. Yeah. Mine is write shit down, man. Did, did we even Holy get an cow. answer from? Not yeah. yet. Um, yeah, he said. Uh, he said speed. Yeah, we both yeah, said speed. speed the other way around, yeah. right? All right. That's a tough one. I think for me, it's paperwork, and yeah. that that goes along with your, you know, writing it down. Yeah. Um, I also think like console programming, um, theater gets much more in depth mm-hmm. in console programming than a lot of rock and roll people that I- I've worked with. I'm sure um, that's not true. There's a couple that are mixing kind of a theater style, but like if you look at my console layout, if I'm mixing an opening act, Fader One is the vocal, like DCA One is the vocal, and my finger's always on it. You know. Um, because that's where my lead is on a DCA. Like, dear Evan Hansen, Evan is always in DCA one now. I didn't program that desk, but, um, you know, and and drums is all the way on the right somewhere where I don't need to touch it. Um, it the mixing is just so different between the two, you know. And yeah, I think oh, yeah. <laughs> you can learn a lot 
um, from the theater guys on how to mix and how to be dynamic um, with your show. You know, a lot of the opening acts you see out there, the guy just like sets his faders. He's like, cool, man. Sounds good. I was like, well, but there's a guitar solo. <laughs> well, when we had hear it. Rob Scoville said something along the lines of you can have a show that sounds good, but is poorly mixed or something like that. And that's exactly what he's talking about. And I, and I, when I've had rock and roll friends are exposed to the idea of like the way that musical theater shows mixed their, their brains explode. It's, it, you know, it's just a totally different reality, but I mean, like you said, with the paperwork coming from rock and roll, you look at all that and you're like, this is so tedious. Like you, you literally have a drawing that has every single cable in your whole theater. And like, why would you do that? But then you have these, you know, they call the job security cables and, and then you have just exist in somebody's. I mean, we had a situation once where uh, a switch got reset and that config just lived in somebody's head and that somebody lived in a different country and we had to get them out of bed and go, help us put this switch. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. And it's like, someone should wrote that down. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. Speaking of yeah. out of bed. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's up? How, how you feeling, bud? Yeah, I'm all right. So you look, I have a question, you, Alex. Yeah. I forgot to um, sit over a little bit. <laughs> um, the nomenclature between theater and um, rock and roll. What do you find the most different? Um, what are words bundles that and rock looms. and roll? What is that? Wait, what? Right. Bundles Bund and looms. So, rock and roll guys, we use looms to get up to our PA. Yeah. Right. Theater guys use bundles. <laughs> okay. Because it's a bundle of cable, right? Um, the first. I'll never forget the first shop prep I ever did. The guy put me on bundle duty, and I was like, I, what, what the hell is bundle duty? <laughs> uh, and then he handed me a roll of friction tape, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Because I'm used to doing E-tape. And I was like, uh, okay. And he goes, well, you tape it up. I was like, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I think bundles and looms, that's the biggest difference. Uh, we still use stage directions. You hmm? don't hear molt in rock and roll. Nobody says molt. Yeah, no. Multi-pair? Yeah. Or G-block? Oh, like, yeah. G-block and rock and roll is non-existent. What is a that? 19-pair? What is a 19-pair? Yeah. Or uh, at comms. In in the rock and roll world, it's lighting usually is the wrangle of the yeah. comms. Lighting and video have to deal with the comms. And in the theater, your audio person, that's your that's your job now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we do video too, so it's, you know, but only certain parts of video. Not, not content, but in theater, we deal with you know, conductor shots and stage shots so that stage management can see well, you. And, well, all right. So I think another big difference is stage manager, stage manager in theater versus stage manager in rock and roll, two completely different positions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and even the word technical director, um, uh, stage manager, those are two completely different positions in rock and roll in theater. That's yeah. so interesting. Uh, I will say, depending on where you are in the world, multis feel like I feel like that's universal because uh, I did the, my first Euro tour, and people were like, "Where's your multi?" And I was like, "What?" Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Oh, got it, front house snake." Mm -hmm. Took yeah. me a second. Nope. One thing that's different, and it's mainly because I've worked with Acme and designers that are British, um, places in theaters. So, like, we would call the orchestra the orchestra, but they call it the stalls. Oh. Because in the Elizabeth Theater, that's where the stalls for the horses were. Ah, that's really interesting. Interesting. 
Huh. It's like, you know, upstage, downstage. Why is upstage, upstage? Because in Greek theater, that was up in the back. So the tomatoes would roll off the stage, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, That's pretty great. Yeah. And like Mez and Balk, those are actually two different things, but we all call them the balcony. But in all seriousness, didn't like traditional old school, like medieval time theaters, it was actually a raked stage because of yeah. the rain and things like that. So that's, you know, okay. So it was, yep. yeah. And, and I've heard the joke of like, to, you know, tomatoes as well. well I, I, my understanding is it's also partially done for sight lines, but then oh, they, okay. the Greeks decided to flatten the stage and rake the audience instead. And that seemed to work out better because then you could like build scenery and stuff. So at least that's, that's my cursory understanding of it. No broken ankles. Yeah, that too. Sick. So what are some of your favorite skills that you've acquired over the years working in both that you find just incredibly helpful no matter what context you're in? I think the ability to talk to people. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, actors need to be talked to in a specific way and they talk to you in a specific way and being able to translate actor and singer speak to sound speak or front of house guy speak or stage manager speak. Um, I think that ability has been the most helpful all the way around. By far. It's funny. It's just communication, right? I mean, yeah, the common theme in rock and roll as well, right? From the monitor engineer to, to SE to front of house. I mean, it's, 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 it's the soft skills side of, of, of what we do is what's almost always more important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something you can't really teach, right? That's something you have to kind of learn on your own. And um, maybe someone can point out, Hey man, you're kind of being an arrogant asshole. <laughs> um, you know, or this is really what they mean. You know, think about what the intent, what is the intent behind their words? Um, that's actually something Nevin taught me a lot about is what are what's the intent of what the actor is saying what do they actually mean i think that's a that's a huge one and i had a situation recently where um an artist management was sitting at like 200 level like on the 180 line in an an arena like rock and roll arena thing and they were like it's so loud the side hang is so loud it's got to be insane in front of house and i was like well i know it's not but i'll like obviously i'll go check it just to make triple sure that it's not. And I said, I think the actual issue here is that management isn't used to sitting in that location and actually being in the coverage of the PA. And so their mental comparison is that front of house is X amount louder than wherever they are now. And since they were actually in coverage there, they assumed that it must've been crazy out front, but it's like, no, it's actually whatever you're hearing here is just like that out front. And so afterwards I came down and they're like, Oh, it's like really consistent. But the, the if I had just acted on the the words of the comment, which were the side hang is too loud, um, that wouldn't have been the right thing to act upon because it wasn't. It was more about, like you said, trying to understand, you know, that's comments coming from someone who maybe doesn't design sound systems. And so what are they what are they getting at? Which is, you know, OK, this is not what I'm used to. So there might be an issue here and trying to decode that. And that is where um, I think a lot of things that turn into problems later on maybe could be averted is reacting to what somebody is actually trying to communicate instead of what they said. And that's, that's tricky, but we have a certain lens that we think of things through uh, because we deal with, with sound directly and we know how to quantify it and understand it. And, you know, someone maybe who's in management probably doesn't have that same skill set. They just have their perception. 
And so trying to figure out, well, what's, what are they actually, what's bothering them really? What's the, what's the deal here? And then how do you respond to that? And I think that's, that's like you said, that's, that's hard to learn. That's just sort of an, uh, you have to do it over time sort of thing. Yeah. And I think you've got to get to know the people too. You know, sure. I think um, you got to make the time and effort to get to know the people that you're working with, especially the artists. You know, if, if you have that access, you don't always have that access, but if you do have that access, I think it's so important. Um, and to know, they need to know that you have them, you know, uh, and their best interest at heart, you know, that you're on the same page, that you want what they want. And just talk about it. Mm -hmm. That's something that has been a, a point uh, that I've spent a lot of time thinking about is exactly that, which is, you know, I always say, you know, take, take three of the artists that I work for right now, put them in the same venue. I'm not hanging the same PA. It's not yeah. designed the same way. It's not tuned the same way. And the difference is what the artist is trying to do with their show, but also like, you know, what do they want to experience when they're on stage? What's their comfort level and stuff like that. And, and do they feel confident that I am advocating for that? whatever, whatever that is, um, you know, and, and whether that's, Hey, this person cares a lot about the front row experience. So I want to make sure I get my front fills in a good spot and I'm going to go and talk to lighting about these positions and see what we can do. Or on another show, it's like, they, they care more about the sight lines on the front fills. So I'm going to, I'm going to let that, I'm not going to pick that fight this time and just try to, all of that has to like come from what the artist is trying to do. And I, often feel very hesitant to make those types of decisions if I don't feel like I have a good idea of, of what the artist's vision is in that way. So that's something that I, like you said, often you can't make it happen, but when I have the opportunity to just say, Hey, can I talk to you for 30 seconds about where your head's at on this? I find that to be really helpful. Yep. Well, on the flip side of that is you then start to develop a relationship where if there's an issue if they don't tell you some somebody they trust will like um, I work on a show and after about half the shows, the drum, the drummer and I'll just say, Hey, I'll be loaded out and he'll stay outside and smoke a cigarette. And I go, Hey, how's it going? How, how'd it feel? Right. Cause they, it's a band that they really like feeling a lot on stage, but there's a limit for them, right? Like they're, they, we have found that they have a threshold of, okay, we went from, I like the bathtub to I'm just getting beat to hell. Right. And so it's that balance versus, um, I monitor tech to a tour the summer where, you know, they, the artist, the lead singer in particular, just really doesn't like feeling things on stage. Like he very much studio environment on stage or as close as possible. Um, and Michael, you were the SE and you tuned the PA differently, but even watching the band react differently and talking to everybody and listening to them talk and even the questions they would ask me were completely different depending on if it was like a half house versus, you know, a normal show for us because it felt different. But it was really cool that people would talk to me about it yep. is what I found. I think. An extension of that, and it, again, it really, like you said, Alex, it really depends so much on the specifics of what you're doing, but a lot of artists aren't necessarily aware of the idea that something like rear radiation is controllable. 
a lot of them just think like this is what happens and it's like no if you want more i can design a system that does more if you want less i can design a system that does less it is something that in, in my book i call it design a design parameter it's something that i start from square one and say i want to design a system that, that accomplishes this behind it and once your artist becomes aware that that's something that we can't adjust if they're not comfortable then it's like oh wow i've never been as comfortable so like, we well, never you, you never asked yeah. about it so i think just just even touching base and saying, are you comfortable right now? Is there, if, if, if it could be different, what would you want? Like that can be valuable too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that translates straight over into theater, you know, in theater, you don't have foldback, you know, you don't have vocals in your monitors. Um, you might get a little bit of keys. You might get a bit of this. So on a tour where you're going from a 3000 seat venue to a 1500 seat venue, that's, made out of something completely different, the cast is going to come in and they're going to come in the sound check and go, I can't hear myself. Mm-hmm. Like you're right. Well, the sound's not coming back at you, but okay. What are you hearing? What are you hearing too much of? And I think having that relationship with the cast and stage management um, allows those conversations to flow a little easier. And on sound check, it's not rare to find me center stage with the cast going, Oh, yeah, I, I see what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're getting pummeled by reverb off the back wall. That's 150 milliseconds late. Yeah. Um, and no, you're not going to hear yourself. But how? You know, what can I give them that will help them out? You know. And if you have a relationship, rather than just rolling your eyes and going, "Oh, this is terrible," and you know, mm-hmm. storming off stage, you're like, "This is why I'm struggling." Right. You know. And if you can solve their problem once or twice, that trust is built. And even if you fail once or twice and be like, well, it's kind of the venue and there's nothing I can, there's a big dome and everything's shooting at the dome and it's coming back at you. And there's nothing I can do about it. They then kind of respect that answer and be like, okay, well, I'll just suffer this week. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think to me, it's, it's making sure they know that I'm, I've considered it. Mm-hmm. Like an effort has been made. It's been considered. And sometimes, like you said, sometimes you can't, fix it but someone's out here thinking about it someone's out here working on it and so you can rest a little easier you know yeah chris you had a, a something sorry yeah uh hey so did i did i see you did a lady a tour uh was that with with, with scoop it sure was nice yep it was the was... co-headliner tour uh with lady a and darius rucker awesome nice and, i love and, scoop and you've been out with darius for uh quite some time i was looking through it, it was like your your mm-hmm. longest stint with an act that you stayed with for for quite some time yeah it's been on and off uh billy hewlin and i have a love-hate relationship sometimes uh, and we need a break from each other every once in a while um but we seem to always come back to to each other when we need each other the most so works out because you worked with him when it was hooting the blowfish like early 2000s yeah yeah and you know for that i was uh a patch guy and a lighting guy at the same time i mean we were playing clubs small theaters um you know hootie the blowfish was kind of on its way out it was right before he released (laughs) his first country album you know what i mean (laughs) so um yeah and they took a break from needing pa for a while and then i the first year they needed pa i was I went from being a patch guy to their AC and it was really fun. It was nice Mm. to see everyone again and going from the stage side. I had also, I know it was a good five years in between. So I had grown and matured a lot, which was nice. Um, 
and then going out front. It was it was a blast, and it's been fun ever since. Um, and I really like those guys. I miss them a lot. So, Alex, how'd you get into this? Um, I I guess my first thing in sound was in high school. Um, we had an auditorium, an assembly, and a church service every Wednesday in our auditorium, and we sat um, with our advisors. Um, and they were sat alphabetically. And my advisor's last name started with a Z. So guess what row we got to sit in? Last row. The last one. Um, and I saw a microphone and they kept playing with it. And it was either feeding back or you couldn't hear anything. So one day after school, I decided, you know, I'm going to figure this out. This can't be too hard. Um, and I snuck into the sound booth. Um, and I managed to blow up the amplifier and the console. <laughs> <laughs> um it was one of those powered consoles that had Good an amp built in and there was a crest power amplifier and I plugged the banana jacks into the banana jacks. <laughs> Turns out bad idea. Um, <laughs> but so as a punishment, rather than being expelled or anything, um, the principal said, okay, well, you now have to learn how to do this and run the high school musical. Um, and they had a guy, they brought him in every year to, do sound for the musical and they brought in a little desk and some wireless and all that. And I was his little helper. I was a little monkey. Um, and he got me hooked on it. He was such a great mentor. Um, that was my sophomore year of high school. By senior year, he had taught himself out of a job at the school, unfortunately. Um, he's back there now again. Um, but for a long time, all of that kind of fell on students because we kind of passed the knowledge on to the other students of how things were done at the school. Um, and then I started working at uh, Paramount's Carowinds as a stagehand. And that led to being introduced to the guys at SES. And my wife and the rest is kind of history. Where are you located so, at? So yeah, high school. Now? Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, I've heard of that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good or bad thing. I mean, it's cold. I mean, it's cold. I I like Minneapolis and St. Paul. I like the area. The vicinity is mm -hmm. nice. It always has There's a lot been. of great food. A lot of great food. A lot of great people. Everyone says excuse me way too much. Like in in Missouri, mm -hmm. we say oop oop. But yeah, it, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fine. We just place. call it that Minnesota nice, right though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah Minnesota. It's funny. Nice. So we're we're going to the Dominican Republic tomorrow uh, for my daughter's tenth birthday, um, and it has been negative twenty last week. Brutal. The week we're going, it's going to be in the forties, and then we come back, and we're going to expect six inches of snow the day we come back. <laughs> it's like, can really the week it's in the forties is when we're going to. <laughs> so, oh thank but, you that's yeah no did she pick but it's that, ideal for touring did she, did your daughter pick that was she like i want to go to the dominican for my 10th birthday yeah so uh she gave us some parameters of what she wanted for her 10th birthday and she said she wanted the beach um a water park and to try new foods um smart so i gave her a couple options um she watched a couple of uh, travel channel videos on the few places that she had picked and she ended up with Dina Punta Cana. So here we go. 
Dang, Sick. Dad. Your ten year old's got good taste. Yeah, man. My we went to the roller skating rink and had pizza. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean this isn't an every year kind of thing, but you know, for her tenth birthday. Two digits, man. That's huge. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance? Obviously, you already kind of said that you wanted to spend more time at home, but how are you with balancing home and touring and taking gigs and stuff post-COVID? Pre-COVID was a different story. Have you changed after COVID the way you want to tour and you are going to continue to? Yeah, uh, totally. Um, I think family, I'm at a point of my life now where family is the number one priority. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to pick. What are you two giggling about over there? <laughs> Michael farted. <laughs> okay. Are you in the same room, just at opposite sides? No, she no. just no. farted through the microphone. I thought it was yeah, hilarious. I thought he was in his chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Kyle heard it too. I just have no poker face. The problem is, like, <laughs> is is that the first fart on on the podcast? No, Kyle had it. We, nope. It was oh, we talked about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. Your family. Sorry, Alex. We are listening. Pardon we us. promise. <laughs> We're just being childish over here. That's okay. I have a five year old that does the same thing. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Yeah, that feels pretty on brand for me. Yep. Yep. The other day we're sitting at dinner and we're talking about playing a song. Um, oh, we're listening to a song on on our Alexa, and uh, she goes, "Mom, that's a beautiful song." Also, I just farted, <laughs> but it was in my chair and quiet, so nobody heard it. <laughs> so there you go. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> back to our conversation. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I can say yes or no to gigs. Um, you know, I think when you're starting out, and especially if you live in New York um, or an expensive place, you're you're like a slave to the job where you feel like you have to say yes in order to just make a living. Um, and I think for me, that's finally flipped, and I can say yes to a gig and not be like, oh my god, where's all my money? You know, um, so. I my goal is to spend more time at home than it is on the road. Um, that's that's my current goal. And with Dear Evan Hansen, I'm meeting that goal. I mm. I fly out on Sundays and I come home Wednesday morning, and I can pick up the kids from school and you know be with them Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, part of Sunday. So that's ideal. Out of curiosity, how long did it take you to get there? Right to the point at which you felt like you could say no to gigs, and then again to establish that balance. Uh, twenty years. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I, I took a job at the Guthrie um, for I think about seven years, um, and part of that was because I wanted to be home, um, and that job was it was a steady nine to five. You know, I. I knew we had money coming in and um, it was, it was great. But after the pandemic, I went back for a few months and one day my, my daughter, my 10 year old goes, daddy, why are you always cranky when you come home from work? (laughs) I was like, Hmm. Mm. 
Okay. Time for a change. <laughs> okay. If my 10 year old sees that I'm cranky, um, then it's time for a change. So, and you know, if you look at the hierarchy in theater, I'm the advanced guy. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, and that, like, that's where people start in the theater touring realm. Um, and it's just now that I'm like, yeah, I'm, that's cool. I'm that's fine. Like I have way more experience than anyone else on that tour. Um, and I try to keep that to myself as much as I possibly can. Um, <laughs> but I love it. You know, I get to do what I like. I get to experience different things and solve different problems every week. Um, and I still get to be home, which is awesome. That's cool. Hit him with the question, Sam. All right, Alex, what do you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, God. Uh, I think it goes back to the communication thing. I think I wish I knew better how to network when I first started and how to communicate better. Um, I think a lot of the, you know, being an SE is something you can learn. Um, someone can teach you how to use smart. Someone can teach you how to lay out a desk. Um, it's the soft skills that are a lot harder to learn. So I think I would have known more of those earlier on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, enough. that's a pretty common yeah. theme. Yeah. Yep. It's... Is it my turn? Yeah. Okay, Alex, we're all going to come out to Minnesota and visit in the you summer. In this, yeah, in, in the summer, summer, yeah. summer, summertime. <laughs> and uh, you're going to take us out for lunch. Where are you taking us? Favorite spot to eat? Can I make you a cheese fondue? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Yep. We'll do that. Um, yeah. I think cheese fondue at our place is where nice. we're going. Um, I, you know, for, for most of us when working, eating is utilitarian. Right? Mm -hmm. We do it because we have to and we're fed catering, which either is good or bad. Um, so I think when, when people are over, I want to have a meal I can sit and enjoy. And fondue is one of those things where you got to take it slow. And you can yeah, well, it's one of those things where it's an experience. Yeah, right. No, no double and dipping. And if you do it too fast, you go to sleep. Yep. Don't double dip. Yep. All right, Alex. If you <laughs> could define your <laughs> if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Yeah, I've heard this question on your podcasts many times, <laughs> and I've thought about it, and I still don't have an answer. You've um, actually listened. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and to the end. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I know. I was like, wow. Um, I think I'm getting to the point where I want to start helping other people get into the business and grow. Um, so I hope they th that my legacy, I guess, is defined by people that are like, oh, yeah, that guy taught me something. That was really cool. Um, I don't want to be the asshole, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be the grumpy road guy. Yeah, that's what I don't want. 
So maybe the opposite of that. The no, nice that's, road guy. That's definitely that's something. taught by the uh, 10-year-old. Perfect. The <laughs> answer as well. Absolutely. Thanks for being on. Yep. We appreciate you a lot. Thanks, Alex. I know it's going to be a Thanks busy summer, so be safe and uh, check in with us. Yeah. You guys too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.